Good morning. Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction for another week in our series called Hope is Here. Uh, and it's timely that we live in a world looking for hope, a little bit out of control at the moment. I want to read a little verse of scripture before we jump into the message today. If you're doing the Core 52 journey, there's a book called Core 52 we're all reading together, and memorizing the Word of God together and being encouraged and challenged every day, not just on Sundays. If you're a part of that, um, you're going to read this this week. And I want to share it with you right now. It's very timely for where we're at. If you're not part of the Core 52 journey and you want to know more at the Next Steps table, we can answer questions and get you connected on that journey as well. But in John 10, this is what Jesus says. John 10, verse 7. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they'll go out and they'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We are grateful and thankful that we don't live life alone. We have a father who provided for us. He planned for us. He shepherds us. He guides us to refuge, to safety, to protection, to provision. He guides our steps and our paths. And he sent his son to lay down his life for us on the cross. He buried in the tomb and to resurrect again to give us victory over death and hope of eternity. We are thankful for that. And because of all that, our lives are not ruled by fear. Rather, our faith defeats the fear in us. It doesn't change what's going on out there but it gives us a perspective of faith and hope. We don't have to lives of fear. I'm going to pray for just a second, and then we're going to talk in the book of Nehemiah about a man who shepherded like the Father shepherds us. Let's pray. Father God, I am thankful, uh, more thankful than words can express that you have provided for us even at a time of confusion, a time of fear in our culture, online, in our world. You have provided answers and hope for us through your word. And Father, we take hope in that. This morning, I pray you would speak to us as the good shepherd out of your word. That you'd speak to us and you would guide our steps, you would guide our decisions, and guide our paths. And Father, you would replace any fear we have with faith that no matter what, all the numbers show you are still in control. And that, Father, we can live lives of faith that give hope to others. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today. It's on page 300 and, uh, sorry, 329 in those blue Bibles. If you want to grab a blue Bible there, it'll be on the screens behind me as well or on your phone, on the apps, the Bible apps there as well. The book of Nehemiah, it goes for several chapters and talks about how God restores, rebuilds the walls in Jerusalem. I have a Bible study with a bunch of guys on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We've been reading the book of Nehemiah so far. And as we saw, as I saw things in culture kind of going the way they are, I made a little shift. And so we're going to talk about this this morning. It's been incredibly encouraging to me as well as we've been studying this together as a group. Nehemiah 
we're going to read through, we're going to talk over, not read all, but talk over the first four chapters. It's a lot of words. I will not read them all. We're going to talk over and I'll fill in some paraphrased gaps in there for us. But in Nehemiah chapter one, this is what verse one starting there says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. These are words written by Nehemiah. He is narrating the story. Whenever you see the pronoun I, that's Nehemiah talking and experiencing right there. Nehemiah writes, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he questions his brother and these other guys about what's going on. See, see, Nehemiah is growing up in a place called Susa. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Israel even because the people of God have been carried off in exile several different times. And Nehemiah here has lived most, if not all, of his life in this other nation, this other city, this other place. And he asks people come from his homeland, from the center of his culture, and he asks them, what's going on back home? Tell me. Nehemiah doesn't have a lot of news from there. Tell me what's going on back in Jerusalem. So Hannah and I and the brothers tell him about it. They said to him, next verse, those who survived the exile, they're back in the province and are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. I don't know exactly what Nehemiah was hoping for, but I don't think this is it. I don't think he was hoping they would say, yes, Jerusalem, the capital city, the center of politics, the center of religion, the center of our culture and ethnicity, the center of everything and our people is destroyed, burned with fire and in great disgrace and rubble. It's not what he was hoping for. But it's what he heard. He heard that his people, his home, the center of it all was broken. And Nehemiah responds like this. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears that his home is broken. His people are broken. The, the temple, the, the, the walls, the city, they're, they're broken. And his only response is to be brokenhearted for the brokenness. And so he sits and weeps. And he prays. And he says to God, God, speak to me. He asks to hear a word. He asks for, for guidance. He, what should I do? What will be done here? Hear us. Hear the cries of people. He prays all these things through chapter 1. He spends quite a while praying all these things. In fact, some months go by on the calendar. Some months go by. If you go to chapter 2, just flip over there. We'll see what Nehemiah does here. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that's the king of the nation where he's living in. And this is the same year, but it's months later. When wine was brought for the king, he took the wine and gave it to the king. You see, Nehemiah's job was to be the cupbearer. He was the one that would sample the wine and then deliver the cup to the king to protect the king. The wine came, he took it to the king as his job was. Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in the king's presence before. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Months later, Nehemiah is still wrestling with the brokenness of his home. 
the brokenness of his people. Months later, Nehemiah is still brokenhearted. You know, sometimes things happen in our culture. And we feel worry, whatever word you want, fear, sadness, brokenness for a day or two or a little bit of time. But then things kind of go back to normal again. But not for Nehemiah. Months have gone by. He's broken. What will happen? Nehemiah says the next verse, I was very much afraid. See, the thing about our God, he's a good shepherd, a great father, but he sends us into situations and into places where you might be afraid, places that are hard, places that are difficult. Nehemiah says, I was much afraid, but I said to the king, he speaks with boldness, he said, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So Nehemiah speaks with boldness. He lays it out before the king. He does not shrink back. He does not hide. He does not try to cover it up. He speaks boldly through his fear because the people of God get sent into scary things, into difficult things, and we overcome our fear through our faith and we speak boldly the truth of what's going on. He looks at the king and says, why should I not be sad? My home has been destroyed. My, my walls and my city have been broken down. My people are in disgrace. They're in distress. Why should I not be sad? Ironically, part of the reason the walls are broken and the city's been burned and the people are in disgrace is because King Artaxerxes and his nation captured them. He looks at the king and says, it's in great disgrace because men like you have broken it. That's a bold step. He lays it out. And the king, though, he doesn't respond with anger. The king it says he's sitting next to his queen. He, he, he looks at her. He looks at Nehemiah. They have a conversation. The king sends Nehemiah. He gives him permission. He allows him to leave and to go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't just send him, though. He blesses him. Take some money. Take some people. Take some letters of protection. Go on your way. I'm sending you for a time to go rebuild the walls of your home. He sends him. If you go down to verse 10 of chapter 2, there's two guys that are named. One is Sanballat, the Horonite, and the other is Tobiah, the Ammonite. And they heard about this. They heard that Nehemiah had gone to the king. They heard that Nehemiah had a plan. They heard that Nehemiah had been blessed and been sent. They heard that Nehemiah was responding. They heard this was all happening, and they were, it says, very much disturbed that someone came to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Very much disturbed. Somehow, somewhere, they'd carved out a little niche for themselves in this place. We're hanging with my guys, studying through these chapters here. I learned a phrase from one of the guys in our group. It says, where there's chaos, there's cash. You can thank Mike Skelly for that. Where there's chaos, there's cash. And it's true. When things are messed up, there's a profit to be made. Might not be dollars. Might be, might be reputation, might be fame, might be power, might be prestige, might be control. But there's a profit to be made. And Jerusalem certainly is in turmoil and disgrace, and there's chaos all around it. And these guys somehow carved out for themselves their little spheres of power. And when they hear someone's coming to set it right, when they hear that somebody heard the good shepherd talk to them, and someone is coming 
to, to commit to the cause of the shepherd and to fix things, they're very much disturbed. What's it going to mean for me? What's going to happen to me? Verse 11 says, Nehemiah, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night I went out through the valley gate, through the jackal wall and the dung gate, these are great names, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool for there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. He's just going around checking stuff out. He's surveying the project, checking out the destruction, seeing what it's going to take to fix. The officials, he said, did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Just to pause the story for a second. A little leadership tip here. Before you commit yourself to anything, Jesus talked about this. Before you commit yourself to anything, you count the cost. What's it going to take to do this? What's it going to cost in terms of my dollars, my time, my energy, my relationships, my reputation? What's the cost emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually? What's the cost of this. You count the cost first. You see what it's going to take to do the job first. Dads, before you commit your family to something, you count the cost for your kids. Husbands, before you commit, you count the cost to your wife and your marriage. Wives, you count the cost before you commit. Before you take a new job, you count the cost. I'm going to make more money, but what's it going to cost me? Count the cost. Before you volunteer for something, you count the cost. What's it going to take? Because you don't want to get in and bail on the thing. What's it going to take? Nehemiah spends some time going around counting the cost. Seeing if this is something he can commit himself to or not. Spends days. And then, after he counts the cost, he says, I'm going to commit to the cause of the good shepherd himself. And then he says this to all the people. He says, you see, the next verse, you see the trouble we are in. He doesn't need a fancy slideshow or movie or PowerPoint. He just says, look, you see the trouble we're in. You've been living in it. You've been living in the rubble, the brokenness. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Says, look around yourselves, people. You see it? You're broken. You are broken. You've been living in brokenness. And you've been okay with it. But there's a better way. Let's rebuild this thing to what it was meant to be. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. I went to the king and said to me, see, when you've got a job to do and you're committed to it, you don't need fancy strategies and plans and slideshows and movies and what you need 
is conviction of the call and the heart of the shepherd. That's all you need. And when you are convicted by what you've been called to and you are going to go do it no matter what, you've counted the cost, you've committed to the cause, and you have the heart of the shepherd, and you can look people in the eye and say, look, I know you've been living in brokenness. Let's rebuild it. There's a better way. The people replied to Nehemiah, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now what's changed for the people? They were living in brokenness. They were living in the situation. They've been okay with it. They've been at peace with it. It's not been a big deal for them all through this time. And all of a sudden, though, something changes. Let's rebuild it, they say. The only thing that changes is someone shows up with the conviction of a call of God and the heart of the shepherd and says, like, let's do it. There's a way. Because people rally behind a shepherd. People rally behind a leader. People rally behind someone that says, we can do it. Because the gracious hand of God is on us. We can do it. We get to chapter 3 of Nehemiah. I'm not going to read all of chapter 3. It's a lot. I'd love for you to read it later. But it's a lot of names. A lot of names, a lot of people. And as you read through what you're going to see is all these names like Eliab and Zachur and the men of Jericho. and They all start building. The whole chapter is these people start building and you're going to see names of people and groups of people. The men of Jericho, the goldsmiths start building, the perfume makers start building, the priests start making, men start taking their daughters along and start building. They start building all through here. And as you read through chapter 3, the momentum builds, the enthusiasm builds. It becomes this groundswell of enthusiasm and you see the people all responding to the conviction of the call and the heart of the shepherd. I told the guys that we're studying this together, this reminds me of watching the Rocky movies. This is the training montage. He's running through the streets and it's the eye of the tiger and they're building and they're building and it's this exciting thing and it's, that's what's happening in chapter 3. If you've ever, maybe you've been a part of a, a movement of people. Maybe you've been on a mission trip somewhere. Or you've joined us for the big serve and you've gone to the junior high school and worked. You know what it's like. When there's a conviction of what God's called you to do, and you're being led by the heart of the shepherd. And people are working, and they're painting, and they're carrying heavy things, and they're sweating together, and they're working. But things that I would do in my yard and grumble about, I have a smile on my face when I'm part of the movement. And I'm laughing together, and we're working together. If you were a part of things last, uh, whenever, uh, May, a year ago or so, when the tornado came through Carl Junction, and you were building sheds with us, and we're working, it was hot. And it was hard. And it was a blast. Some of my best memories are some of my most uncomfortable memories. Because I was a part of a group that was convicted of what God called us to. Being led by the heart of the shepherd. Do you know what that's like? That's chapter 3. People are working hard. Their bodies ache. And they're smiling and laughing while they do it. Because they are rebuilding the walls. It's exciting. And if we ended Nehemiah at the end of chapter 3, we might have this misconception to close the Bible and say, that's it. Whenever God calls us something and we call, we're convicted of the call, we're the heart of the shepherd, we start working, it's going to be fun and easy and everybody's going to applaud us. 
And it's going to be great, but that's not where it ends, because there's chapter 4. And chapter 4 gets here. In chapter 4, verse 1, we see a guy show back up. His name is Sanballat. We've seen him before. He was greatly disturbed. Him and his buddy Tobiah, who's right here with him too in chapter 4. And Sanballat shows up again. He had heard that we were rebuilding the wall. Chapter 4, verse 1, rebuilding the wall. And his, now he's not greatly disturbed anymore. Now he's just flat out mad. He became angry. Angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates, his buddies, and the presence of the army of Samaria, this guy's got some clout. He's got some clout. In the presence of all these people here, he starts saying this stuff. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? What are they doing? And this guy starts casting doubt after doubt after doubt after doubt. I don't think they can do it. He's like, what are they up to here? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, he gets in on it. In the next verse, verse 3, he says, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. I don't know if you're familiar with foxes, but they're not that big. Even that is going to break down these walls. And Sambala and Tobiah start sowing all these seeds of doubt, ridiculing and mocking and pointing and laughing and jeering. They're trying to rally support against Nehemiah and all the people. Look, what are they doing? These guys aren't even, they aren't contractors. They're not builders. They are goldsmiths and perfume makers and daughters and priests. What are they doing? What? They don't know what they're doing. They're building this little pile of rocks. A fox is going to get on it. It's going to fall down. And they start sowing doubts and they start being angry and they start making fun of them and mocking them. And in that moment, you can almost feel all the enthusiasm of chapter 3, this grand swell of enthusiasm, you can almost feel the, the joy and the excitement and the, the optimism get sucked out of the room. You can almost feel it. We were going so strong. And now we're ready to quit. If you've, if you've been watching anything on TV or on social media or reading the newspaper, if you still got a newspaper or anything, you can almost feel the enthusiasm sucking out of, of people. I mean, financially, what's going on with our economy? It's up, it's down, it's all over. I don't know. I'm, I'm scared to death. You can almost feel it leaving. Right? Uh, with, with, with people, who is sick, who's not, who's, I don't know, we can't touch you there anymore. We're scared. With, with the future, are we having this event? I don't know, can we, can we watch basketball? No. I mean, you can almost feel it being sucked out of us. The enthusiasm's going away. I don't know. People are asking for the church, are we going to do this event? Are we going to do that event? I don't know. Someone said to me yesterday, things, they just, they just felt like they were going so good in this room, in this building, for so they're going so well, and now it's like, what's going to happen next? We don't know. You can almost feel it being sucked out of the room. 
your neighborhood, your home, at your job, at your school. Maybe you're on spring break right now. Are you going back in a week? We don't know. All this stuff's happening all over the place. What are we going to do? The people that are building the wall, Sambal and Tobiah, they start, they start ridiculing, mocking, making fun, jeering, and criticizing, and casting doubts, and being angry. All these things are happening. And all the people here, they just kind of put down their tools. And they just stop. And all the eyes look at Nehemiah. They all look at Nehemiah. After all, they're building because Nehemiah showed up and said, you can do this. After all, they're working because Nehemiah said, I have a call from God. The gracious hand of God is upon me. Let's do this. After all, they're building because Nehemiah came with the heart of a shepherd and shepherded them back to rebuild the brokenness of their lives. And now when someone attacks it, because remember what Jesus said in John 10, right before he says the good shepherd, he said the enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your future, your plans, your safety, your peace, your comfort, everything. But he came to give us life. So right when they're building, the, the enemy shows up and says, what are you doing? And they all look at Nehemiah. When the world falls apart, and I, from last Sunday when we met in this room to today, a lot of things have happened. A lot of stuff has happened. The world is no more broken today than it was a week ago, or a month, or a year ago. It just is a little more in front of us right now. When things happen, and you've been in your neighborhood, you've been at your office place, and you've been at your school, and you've been in your family, and you've been the voice of hope, and you've been the one that goes to church, and you've been the one that's surrendered to the good shepherd, and you've been the one that has a hope and faith of a future and an eternity, and you're that person, and everything starts to fall apart, what's everybody do? I can tell you what they do. They all look at you to see what you're going to do. Everybody looks at Nehemiah, and everybody's looking at you right now. Maybe you're the only person in your family that has faith in Jesus. Everybody's looking at you right now. And your reaction to everything that happens in our world, your reaction reveals the condition of your heart. It does. And not just this whole coronavirus stuff. Your reaction to every and any situation that comes up reveals the condition of your heart. Your, your social media feed reveals the condition of your heart. Is it full of fear? Or is it full of faith? Your words reveal your condition of your heart. Is it full of anger and bitterness? Or is it full of love and forgiveness? Every situation that comes up, everybody looks at you. Because when you surrendered to Jesus, you became a shepherd. The shepherd creation back to him. And you became someone every weekend we send you out of here and we say every weekend you are sent and we send you into a broken world. And Nehemiah walked out and you can see a broken wall. We send you into broken lives and broken marriages and broken families and broken jobs and broken hopes and broken dreams and we send you out to shepherd people back to what God has called us to. And when things get scary and things get hard, Everybody stops there doing that. Look at you to see what you're going to do. If Nehemiah had given up and quit, they would have given up and quit. 
Nehemiah would have got angry, they would have got angry. They're all looking at you. If you respond to people with anger, people are looking at you, they're going to respond with anger. If you respond with passive aggressiveness, they're going to respond that way. If you respond with terror and fear and panic, they're going to respond that way. You are a shepherd in the brokenness. So what's Nehemiah do? He doesn't give up. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't quit. He doesn't make sarcastic, hilarious, but inappropriate meme and share it with everybody. He doesn't do any of that. This is what he does. Verse 4. Nehemiah looks to heaven and he prays. Hear us, our God. Hear us, our God. For we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder to land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He prays, hear us, our God. What do you do when everything falls apart and the world's full of fear and the world's full of anger and your relationships are broken and it feels like you're just trudging through the muck with everybody else? What do you do? You don't get angry. You don't fight. You don't get panicked. You don't hide your head in the sand. You pray. And for Nehemiah, if you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you're going to see they do a lot of other stuff too because prayer is not the only thing we do. But it is the first thing we do. Prayer is not the only thing we do, but it is the first thing that we do. And so Nehemiah right here, when he's in the middle of a tense, potentially violent, terrible situation, he doesn't let it break out in some kind of civil war of people. He doesn't let it get broken in relationship. He doesn't let people get terrified and run away. He simply prays. Hear us, our God, for the world that is broken, that we are trying to help despises us. Hear us. Because the ironic thing is that the very world that is broken, that we are shepherding back to peace and back to health, that very broken world hates us while we're trying to rebuild it. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. And when he prays, and when people see him pray, and people see the condition of Nehemiah's heart, what do they do? They don't quit. They don't run away. They don't get angry. They don't give up. What do they do? It says in verse 6, so... We rebuilt the wall. So we rebuilt the wall. I think Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 are pivotal. And what Nehemiah does in verses 4 and 5 changes the course of everything that happens in the rest of Nehemiah, for sure, in history at large. Because when God lays a call in our heart, he doesn't just send us to do a job. He sends us, he sends us to shepherd like he does. To love, and to lead, and to care. With faith that defeats fear. With hope that overcomes hopelessness. We go to shepherd people. Here in just a few minutes, in a matter of minutes, you will be sent from this room. 
you'll be sent from this place into a broken world. A world that is no more, no less broken than it ever has been because broken is broken. And you'll be sent into it with the call from God to be shepherds of people. And you'll be sent And I invite you, if you've never followed Jesus, to surrender to the shepherd today, to give him your life, and you can be baptized into water, forgiven of your past and your sins, and raised up out of water full of the Holy Spirit to lead you as you lead others. If you've already surrendered to Jesus, then I challenge you today that when you leave here, you consider every word, every keystroke, every action, and everything that you do. And you make sure that it is all led by the conviction of the call God has put on your life and moderated by the heart of the shepherd. Because you have the eyes of your neighborhood and your family and your co-workers and your kids and your parents on you right now. And your reaction to every situation that comes today, tomorrow, next week, or years from now will reveal the condition of your heart. Is your heart in a condition of surrender to Jesus and submission to Jesus and faith in Jesus? Or is it in a condition of panic and fear and caring for yourself? You have a God who is a provider. And he will provide for you today just like he's always provided for you. So I challenge you to live as people shepherding others back to health and wholeness with every word and everything that you do. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, we're going to sing one song together and then Kenan will lead you in how we're going to take communion and how we're going to give an offering because no matter what happens in our world, we still commune with the Father And we still listen for him. And we still give to the mission of the kingdom of God. Because the mission doesn't stop when things get scary. The mission continues. And the opportunity to share the gospel today might be greater than it's been in any recent time. Because people listen for hope. So you go with the conviction of the call, the heart of the shepherd, and say, let's rebuild the brokenness of your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have loved us so well. You've called us your own. You've provided for us in so many ways. And Father, I know and I trust and I have no doubt that you're going to provide for us today, next week, next month, and the time to come. And I know that you can take the, the, the circumstances that are encircling our entire world right now, and you can bring an incredible testimony of your goodness out of it. And Father, I pray that we all have faith that defeats fear and a hope that you are the shepherd still today and that we would walk into the brokenness and we could capture the hearts of the people and say, let's rebuild your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would protect us and you would go before us and you would lead us 
and that we would honor you in everything that we do. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing one song.